back again with another episode of the Time for Heroes podcast and this week I have Tom Bowen. Tom Bowen was guitarist in Naughty's band Kill City. Within the band he went and toured with the Libertines. He spoke about his early life in music and modelling for Calvin Klein as well as touring with the Libertines and his battle with alcohol and his recovery. Tom is a fantastic guest to have in the podcast, an absolute pleasure. I hope you enjoy the podcast as much as I enjoyed recording it. And I'll be back again very soon with another episode. Right, here I am. I've got Tom Bowen on my podcast today. Tom Bowen was a guitarist in Naughty's band Kill City. He toured with the Libertines. He is a guitar coach now. He's led the rock and roll lifestyle and he's now sober. And he was also, surprisingly, or not surprisingly, if you have a look at him, a <laughs> model for Calvin Klein. So thanks very much for coming on the podcast, Tom. Thanks for having me, Martin. I'd like to just get back to how life was growing up for you, where you grew up and what your childhood was like. So just carry on for there. Yeah, I grew up in um, South Wales in Cardiff. Um, the accent kind of is still there. It morphs a little bit. Um, n- n- pretty nondescript, really. Went to a Welsh-speaking comprehensive in the late 80s, early 90s. And um, yes, I, I was uh, I, I was minding my own business looking at um, Rolling Stones vinyl bootlegs in Portobello Market when I was 17. Um, my girlfriend at the time, my first girlfriend, we we were away visiting her mate who'd gone to um, gone to London to study, and so we went to see her for the weekend. Mm. And uh, I was looking at these records in the rain. Uh, I think it was yeah, it was the first of November because we'd been out Halloween the night before. And um, chap stopped me and asked me. He actually asked her if I'd ever done any modelling. And as I say, we were kids, you know, 16. And the last thing your mum and dad say to you is, you know, don't talk to any strange men in that in that London. <laughs> and, uh, but it, yeah, it turned out to be a fashion photography. He was a mate of Kate Moss's right. um, when they were, when they were young, you know, he, he, so he'd have been, he'd have been 28 at the time to my 16. Um, and he just looked like, so it's 1992, this is 30 years ago, and he he just looked like, he, he looked like he could be creepy and up to no good, you know, but, he, <laughs> but that was grunge fashion for you, because it, it was pouring with rain and he had a cagoul on, and I don't mean like a trendy cagoul, I mean a cagoul like like we all had when we were kids, with the with the string drawn right around his face, and yeah. and double like I've got today and 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 um, but yeah it turned out he was he was a famous photographer on the rise a guy called David Sims and um, yeah if it, it, it was the big so Kate I mentioned she she was this is 1992 so she was and obviously she features in the in the Libertine story doesn't she but um, it was it was the early 90s so it was that kind of grunge fashion era. That I got caught up in, and so he, yeah, he just plucked me out of the out of out of obscurity and in, into grunge fashion. Um, that's that's mental. 
Yeah, and that took me to London eventually. Well, I was in London obviously when it happened. I moved there a few years later when I, you know, when I got a bit older. Um, that that lasted for about four years, which led me to sort of rock up in Camden in the in the mid to late nineties, which is where I met the infamous Pete Welsh, author of of this. So yeah, brilliant book. I can mind getting it when it came out and. Um... One of the books, it, I think I read it in a couple of days. It's yeah, really easy to read. Yeah, very, very much one of those rock and roll um, books. Yeah, tomes. It's just, it's just a riot, isn't it? To, to when that's the name of it. But yeah, it's um, it's very readable. It's it's just very funny. He, he's very good. I mean, it's a series of interviews, but he's he's got his own turn of phrase that's really cool. He's a very funny guy, you know. Um, yeah. We, everyone was as well in that time. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I, I ran into him on the street, and we we were just um, on the corner of Camden High Street and Parkway in nineteen ninety six. Remember it, and we were just we were just sort of clocking each other's clothes and talking about bands that we both liked. It's haircuts. It's it's the nineties. It's Camden. That's what you know. There are a thousand conversations like that happening on every on every street, and. Um, he, he, yeah, we just hit it off talking about the faces, and it would have been the faces and Badfinger and Big Star and that kind of stuff that we 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 loved, um, and and put a band together, um, which included the the famous John Hassel, who was he would have been fifteen. Mm-hmm. He lied to us. He told us he was seventeen. <laughs> Um, but Pete mentions in his book about um, Carl's comment. I think it's something along, along the lines of because John, you know, John was a Kentish town lad and had a his, his lived with his mum and they and his brother and they had a basement, a cellar with equipment in it. And and I think Carl comments in 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 one of the interviews about um, you know every bum in Camden was in there trying to start in a band, yourself included, which was. Which is what we were doing. It was a band called the Samaritans. So this was this was like late. This was ninety eight. By this time, ninety seven, ninety eight. So was John playing um, bass then? John was playing bass with us. Yeah. Um, and as I say, he was younger than we thought. Uh, <laughs> but you know, we weren't exactly old. I mean, I, in ninety seven, I was twenty two. So yeah. Yeah, <laughs> he was quite you know, ripe and mature, twenty-two, and um, but everyone was not knocking around. I mean, Mick was in Mick was in that band as well briefly. Mick Whitnell, right? Uh, uh, but yeah, it was. I mean, you know, we it, there were no, there was nothing definitive about anything anyone was doing. So there's no definitive band lineup. Nobody was organised. <laughs> Um, a bit younger so they were kind of we we the, i i didn't i didn't meet those two until years later so they because they would be much younger as well it's so, funny yeah. when you mention all those characters obviously yeah. and mick because i always i mean i grew up libertines and baby shambles and all that and yeah i just assume that Mick Whitnell would be like they would all hate him because he was a baby shambles thing and like like Liberty right. Shambles, but no, so they were all kind of yeah, well, no, we, the same scene. Yeah, um, we, we 
so we were all we were all just chances you know we were all just chances with guitars and and, and drumsticks and so on and and um a lot of it kind of coalesced around the good mixer so this era was was post Britpop, late 90s but before the strokes and 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 i suppose the the in terms of music the 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 backdrop was bands like coldplay and travis and radiohead and yeah. you know say 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 what you like about that <laughs> um not going to be horrible but um so there, there were things happening that uh, that were different to that so there was a club club called hq's um in in um chalk farm near, i think it, it, it wasn't actually the ding same building as the old ding walls but it was nearby um in the in the market near the stables market and i forget the name of the club but the the, the actual night i forget the name of and that but it was there, there were pockets of places where you could go and hear punk rock and, and rock and roll that, that was you know still about leather jackets and haircuts and 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 rock and roll music as opposed to the the, the music that the enemy was writing about there is there a i think pete described it in his book as a god-awful new romantic revival like <laughs> 96 i think but yeah so you know there was there was still there were things there was always something bubbling away mm-hmm. that wasn't perhaps in you know on the, in the mainstream it was happening in, in east london as well around old street um and so we were just all knocking about and we were all joining bands and leaving bands and people would fall out with each other and then become friends again. Um, and yeah, John was, John was in our band and, and Mick was in Kill City briefly as well. Right. And yeah, there was no, nobody hated Mick. It, it, co- it, it, everybody would hang out at the shops they worked in as well. There was, a, there was, um, so, you know, there were people were working on stores in Camden Market and there would be people who worked on the market who had stores who opened shops in 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 Camden and in East London. Um, and Mick Whitnell and, and, and Pete, um, Pete Welsh worked in, Pete Jones, Pete Welsh, Jack Jones, they, they worked in the same shop. So you just go and hang out, you know, if you were, if you were, um, if you're on the dole or whatever, or, or or you know, just kicking your heels around Camden, waiting for something to happen, you'd, you'd find yourself in in their shops. Yeah, and it was kind of the it was the music was there, and it was just waiting for that spark, when it that catalyst that kind kind of came for the strokes, and then I think so. Yeah, I I think it just it's it, it's 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 traditionally just happened on, despite what record. It, record companies and music journalists do, hasn't it? They, they there's and and things always go in a in a cycle. So if there's something going on, mm-hmm. it runs its course, and then there's a natural reaction to that. So we, it, it, so yeah, I mean the 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 kind of Brit pop thing happened and and faded, um, and became that late nineties sort of music style, and and it just was very sort of. Of, of of one particular ilk, wasn't it? And so, yeah, yeah, the strokes the strokes happened, and then everything in London happened as a re- as a response to that. But the, I mean, the strokes thing was happening. You know, New York was 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 going on despite Britpop. Those bands were all happening. The strokes weren't the only band over there. Yeah, I mean, that, yeah, I had a private. They were influenced by Britpop bands too. So, mm-hmm. 
yeah, they, 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 these things just ebb and flow, don't they, into different scenes. And um, yeah, that, that happened in Camden after the strokes, I guess. But yeah, I mean, but people like um, Barney and, and Rough Trade saw what was happening. They, they wanted they wanted in, you know, they wanted their taste of it. Mm-hmm. So what happened then with the Samaritans? How far did that go? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I think we, we'd, we'd all read our, you know, Pete obviously wrote his own book. Um, I think we'd all read our own, um, we'd read up on, on, on our heroes and, and the lifestyle was very much in place. And so uh, what happened was a lot of, a lot of, we had a lot of fun. Um, we played gigs and we, we recorded demos, but I think the lifestyle was just as, um, we were pretty dedicated, mm-hmm. not stuck in and, uh, yeah, just, I mean, it, it just didn't take off. You know, we played some great gigs. I think we got mentioned in we got mentioned in the Melody Maker gossip column. Right. Uh, we, we 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 yeah, we had a lot of fun. Let's 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 put it that way. <laughs> the kind of fun that 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 you know the the tabloids wrote about our mate later on. You know, it was yeah yeah yeah. We, we it, it was the 90s were were pretty debauched times. So that's, yeah, well that that's is that every every day we've been doing the same thing, but obviously when. When when Pete came about and it was a big story, it was it was just something to sell papers, wasn't it? Yeah. It's no it's no as if no nobody else was was doing the same sort of shit. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I think having a famous girlfriend catapulted him into those. Yeah. Times, you know. I mean, it, it's it's been happening constantly. I mean, after Pete Doherty, then it was kind of Russell Brand was everywhere. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's always somebody that they, they want to vilify. Yeah. So I mean, and it's nothing new that you know, they they did it to to Brian Jones. Yeah. Yeah, and all that's just to sell papers. But yeah, exactly. who who wants to buy papers? Nobody buys papers nowadays. Not now, no, no. So, so after Samaritans, what what happened then? That's another good question. <laughs> um, I think. The next, so so yeah, it, it was always bubbling away, and we were we were kind of in and out of pubs in in around Camden, and and the scene um, sort of migrated over to Shoreditch. I remember that. Um, I mean, Pete Pete charts it out brilliantly in his book, and and he he know he's got a, a good idea of how, of the timeline of things. I remember um, early uh, two thousand and two. So it's only you know it's only two or three years, four years along. Mm-hmm. And I remember recognizing Lisa Moorish at a gig, or at, we we were in the Dublin Castle. I can't remember who was playing. It's divided into two rooms, and I approached her and asked her if she was sing- if she was singing, if she was singing with anybody. I introduced myself, and we just hit it off. We I I spoke about for some reason I don't know why I spoke about um, asked her if she knew. Um, about Mary Clayton, who was the the the, the um, singer who duetted with Mick Jagger on "Gimme Shelter," it's just a really amazing. Mm-hmm. I'm a massive Stones fan, and it was just a, a, a it's just a, you know it's just the chat up line more than anything. <laughs> and um, we hit it off, and <clears throat> we talked about starting a band, 
as and you know i'm sure she would agree that we all we all all of us had a million conversations like that <clears throat> most most nights when we were out uh-huh. and if you're in between bands so you might have been in a band that was fizzling out or had, or had split up so it's just we were in our natural habitat you know and just just chatting away um and yeah but we hit it off and she she was game so who 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 did i think of straight away to 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 to, to make it a trio was was pete um and we just started hanging out together the three of us and the the libertines were in the picture by then i think i, I I, I think in Pete's book he he talks about um, being aware of them. I I wasn't aware of those those guys at all. Right. Um, but but obviously I knew John from from a few years before. I remember being backstage, not backstage, but in a guest area in Finsbury Park for an Oasis gig, and John came walking along, and we 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 caught up there. And he told me about his new band, and so we would just see them out and about. And Lisa, Lisa was always really good at knowing what was going up, going on, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and um, yeah, things, things just there was a change in the air, and things started to start yeah. to end, you know. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Lisa had been uh, she she'd had like a couple of record deals before. She'd done various different types of genres of music like dance yeah. and R&B and things like that so obviously being in a band like this was like a totally different direction so how did she kind of take to that? Well I mean we, we were all musicians and I, I I played like you know I mentioned earlier that Pete and, Pete, Pete and I bonded over like 70s rock and roll and, and power pop and that that was probably you, you know when I mentioned Mary Clayton to Lisa, you know it, it's all it's all just good music. So mm-hmm. whether she whether she, her vocals were um, influenced by soul music on in a in a career previously, um, you know that. So you know our, our influences were, were were different in previous bands, and and I I wasn't. You know, although I'd mentioned Mary Clayton, that you know she that was from a rock record w- with a guest soul singer on it. So um, by that token, we it, 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 it didn't surprise me that she was a fan of of singers like Susie or whoever else she was influenced by at the time. I don't I don't know, but um, I I just knew she was she you know she was she she was a musician. She was a good good front woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what was the what was the writing process like for that? Who who did the she, writing? She she'd already written all the material. She mm-hmm. she'd been working in the studio and was looking to take it to the stage. I and um, yeah, it was just a matter of learning the songs. She had she had some recordings that I, I was able to take home and learn. It I I'd done quite a bit of you know I went on to do a bit of sideman work. Um, mm-hmm. From there, it's kind of a similar sort of approach to the teaching, really. Just being able to play, kind of in 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 different situations, and and just kind of wing it um, musically. So yeah, it it wasn't it wasn't a matter of me being a writer. I, I'm not music. I'm not a songwriter at all. I just I, I'm a kind of yeah sideman is is it's kind of, sideman's just like being a session musician but on tour. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so yeah like i say the, the the songs were there we were ready to go it happened really quickly i think lisa found our drummer vaz um so pete came in on bass i was on guitar we were quartet to begin with uh-huh. um, yeah i think that's how it happened but like- it, yeah, really quickly she was she was just ready to get get going she she'd made she she'd been busy in the studio mm-hmm. and was, was there, great for me you know it's great to just go for it straight away yeah was the record deal in place at that point or if if not when did that come in with pop tones i think it was i think because lisa and alan were already you know thick as thieves in cahoots yeah for black pop everything was just raring to go and and um i i don't know about how whether it was from the from the mid 90s i i, I presume so because of the the oasis and, and creation connection mm-hmm. yeah that was that was ready to fly it was great we, we, we'd just been so used to the, you know the this the 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 um background i mentioned in camden in the 90s was so chaotic um and <laughs> things were, were, were definitely going to get chaotic again but um from my point of view as a, as a musician looking for a band to to start and to get involved with lisa was really organized and ready to she's really professional and just had everything ready to go so it was there was no um none of the usual kind of mooching around wondering yeah. if someone was going to have money for rehearsals or whether they had all the strings on their guitar which you know often was the case so yeah it like i say it was just really quick really, yeah. really, really i mean she she comes across as is like very driven um, mm. and i've just been listening to a podcast with uh off the beaten track and then um, all through the interview people keep coming in and making noises and um, yeah. she's constantly getting up and telling them to shut up and things like that yeah. so was she kind of like the the boss did she oh yeah definitely i mean it was her project um i can't remember who named the band kill city yeah it it might have been it might have been me but it could have been anyone but it was it it was lisa's project for sure and you have to it, it has to be a sort of i can't remember who i'm paraphrasing this benevolent dictatorship it, it you, you you need somebody who's a boss and yeah and yeah yeah. Um, you need someone steering the ship. Yeah, exactly. Otherwise, exactly. Otherwise, again, going back to how things had, had, had run previously, you know, especially, and if you throw drugs and alcohol in, into the mix, what you end up with is four or five guys, and it usually is guys, sitting in the pub talking about the, being being a band, but just getting pissed and nothing happening. So it, yeah, <laughs> I've done that all my life. You know, so, so yeah, she, she was in charge. She knew exactly what she wanted and exactly what she was doing. It was great right. for me. It was, it was a real, it was a real refreshing change. Right. So, yeah. I mean, the first time I heard, heard this was, um, white boy, white girl uh-huh. uh, and hooligans and E. Right. And, then I heard Hooligans in the the Libertines version as well. So what what was was that a Lisa song or a Libertine song that she the the the, the straight the quick answer is I've no idea. <laughs> <laughs> um so I, like I say, I, I was brought in as as a kind of live session musician, a a, a, a sideman. The and and 
um the friendships and like 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 it like is the case in so many bands were volatile i was in and out of that band there was lots of drugs and alcohol being consumed um so despite being happy that i had this new professional direction i was still getting wasted regularly um i, I you know I, I i don't want to talk on, on behalf of anybody else but we all were um in in the scene and so I, I mean, I'm quite pleased with what I can remember, but um, no, I didn't. I didn't write songs with anyone. I'm not a songwriter. I did so. I wasn't there. As as far as I know, that um, well, first of all, those two songs are quite far apart in terms of timeline. I think White Boy Brown goes Lisa's work completely. Uh huh. Um, it was certainly already. It was one of the songs that was given to me to learn. Uh huh when we got started and then i was i i wasn't in the band when they recorded hooligans on e and but i think i was in the band when it was written um because i think it was written on the tour that i did with the libs right that, and i think it was the two peeps that wrote it together right so, no they it it, it 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 certainly the the lyrical content is definitely comes from Pete going to a, a Swansea game. Yeah, well, that's what I was thinking. See, once you said that about the two Pete sighting that I thought the, the football <coughs> connection. Yeah, yeah, it, 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 it was. A, it was. A, he went to a match at the Vetch. I, I think it was when we played Cardiff, and he. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the funny thing about our friendship is that when we met on that corner in Camden in '96, one of the first things he said to me, is, he said, "It's a good job we're in London because we we couldn't be friends in Wales." <laughs> I I I never followed any of that stuff, but it just it 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 just still makes me giggle a bit. But yeah, he we I think we played. I think that we we were on a leg of the, that tour that was only for four gigs or something. I think we did two, did it in two chunks, and and um, the Cardiff gig was at the Barfly, which I don't even know if it's still there. That, that when they had a Barfly in Cardiff, and I'm pretty sure he went, and watched his team, and came back with reports of hills yeah. on the terraces. <laughs> <laughs> You mentioned the tour, mentioned the tour in the Libertines. Um, what was that like? The tour? <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a great Aerosmith quote talking of rock books. They, they, and they, their book, Walk This Way, is the same format. It's, it's, into, you know, it's like, it's like you're reading a, a documentary being filmed or a documentary script. So it's all interview chunks. Um, and Aerosmith talk about going from being musicians who dabbled in drugs to drug addicts dabbling in music. And mm. it, I mean, touring is just about having fun. I mean, playing music's about having fun. If you're not having fun, there's not much point doing it. It, it, it you know, you might as well go and work in an office or, or whatever, mm. uh, dig a hole in the street and fill it in again. It, it, this, the, the, the whole experience was wild. It, but it, but it was very, it was wild. But it wasn't, it wasn't um, Aerosmith level yet. You know, it was the the the. It was mostly just youngsters having fun in a van, playing jokes on each other, and drinking a lot, and 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 a, a lot of the musicians' experience is is really boring as well. So you you you. 
the boredom is alleviated by her jinx, you know, and, and just just being daft, um, yeah. which then sometimes can get a little bit out of hand. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was it was it, it, it's hours of being in a clapped out van on motorways stuck in traffic jams, and then it's hours of trying to find a venue, <clears throat> and then hours of waiting around whilst people make sure microphones are working and that kind of thing and then you've got to be at your absolute best at the top of your game for a very short amount of time whether it's headlining or supporting you you you, you're then expected to be at your absolute absolute sort of emotional peak and talent wise you're supposed to be completely on top of your game and then it's all over again and then you repeat the process with whatever you choose to fill the time with um and so you know, so if you if you're hanging around with nothing to do in in somewhere like Coventry, and you've got to sort of keep ready, you know, you've got to keep relatively capable of of performing. It, things can get quite interesting. Yeah, and you've also got to keep, but ideally, got to not get your get your head kicked in in Coventry. <laughs> dressed like one of the New York Dolls or whatever. So it, it yeah, it, it it was fun, but it, it but it was pretty innocent. Um, you know, there, there was no darkness that I saw on that tour. There was no no addiction. No, um, well, as, you, as you see, he's a lot young, he's a lot young kids kind of yeah. starting it, and he's have all got the same ideas. There must mm. have been a lot of song ideas and stuff like that, you know, and as well as much as. Yeah, for sure. I I remember um, the they so they they had a you know the the Libertines had a budget. They had their record deal. They had a budget, and they were so they had a fairly comfortable vehicle to be to to be in when it was parked as well as when it was moving. And so they they had acoustic guitars on you know and, that they could sit and play in a van. You can't really do that in a in a splitter van or a transit van, but. Um, yeah, I do. I do remember lots of um, times before and after the gigs, so backstage and in, in dressing rooms, with guitars being passed around and 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 just, yeah, just lots of collaboration. I, I remember Pete Doherty being really into the Lars at the time. That that record was playing a lot in their van, and whether it was on a ghetto blaster or something, I don't know. Backstage, but I remember, yeah, that. Yeah, just lots of it, it was just one rolling party basically. Yeah. So any so like any any house party that you go to when you're young, there's inevitably somebody pulls out a guitar and starts playing songs. I'm just thinking about the scene in, in where John Belushi smashes <laughs> smashes his guitar up in that film now. But, uh, is it Animal House? I think so. Yeah, they, they yeah, I I I'm sure there was songwriting going on between them. Yeah, well, yeah. It's not really such like I, I, I read a story on your your website about the last about you and Pete. Um, yeah, and goes in a hotel. At yeah, thanks for thanks for reading it. Yeah, that was a hotel called the Big Sleep. Again, it it would so it would have been, um, the same the same night, I guess, or the same. It, I don't know when Pete went and watched his 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 match, but um. Yeah, we we were in a in a hotel, and we'd just been passing the guitar around, and and 
he and I were the, the last two stand, the last two sitting. I, I remember we were just sitting on this sort of banquette bit in the in the um, in the in the in the hotel lobby, and we'd probably been just belting out the chorus to that song. There she goes, there she goes again, over and over and over again until everybody'd had enough and and, <laughs> and had to had to crash out. And so it was it was breakfast time, you know. And we we were still going. Yeah. Like before, we were just singing and it just turned into a serenading people as they were <laughs> queuing up for their buffet it was like it was like a punk rock alan partridge basically people could <laughs> get you know it's that kind of vibe and it, it wasn't a travel lodge it was a nicer hotel than that but um yeah it was it was really innocent it, it was just laughs it was just lots of kind of giggling there was not much fighting i remember there was a bit of bother with another support band our, our friends the left hand on uh-huh. last rest his soul but they i think it was, some, it was something to do with carl's brogues got urinated in or something <laughs> so but it was that kind of thing you know i mean there wasn't there wasn't really any trouble that was probably the only bit of trouble and it, it was very very you know yeah locked. yeah yeah exactly it, penny smith's quote about the clash springs to mind it was like being on a commando raid carried up bash street kids you know it was there's a photo of pete and carl laughing a famous photo um i don't know who the photographer is and they're just they're just howling laughing on the on the tour bus i think it was in the enemy shortly after that so and that that kind of captures the whole the whole period for me really yeah there was there was no heroin there was no crack in or you know, i mean if you're using heroin you tend to tend to hide it so maybe there was, but I didn't see any. Yeah, and, it, that's and it, that's it, nobody, really- was, nobody was sort of. If it was getting, if 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 harder drugs were being used, they weren't. They hadn't taken their toll at all. Well, yeah. that I mean, that's that. We're not here to, to scandalise them anyway, because we're, we're all well, fans they, of the band here. Yeah, um, and that, that that was already done by people who weren't fans of the band, and it and you know. But, it's it's ridiculous because there's no it was nothing new 20 years ago no. you know it was, it was only it, you know I, drugs and, and and people bands on tour well as far as i can tell that was that was you know at the birth of rock and roll that was people like jerry lee lewis on amphetamines and taking amphetamines because they needed to get from a to b yeah. in a car you know in the 50s and it and, and needed to needed and no sleep so you know they they were literally using amphetamines to stay awake so that they could play the gigs and drive a car yeah. and, and it does it doesn't do you any good in the long term but um you know it's 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 not it's not really much to scandalize it's just that tabloid journalists know how to yeah it's with it as is lazy journalism that's what exactly. It exactly i mean you look at the the music through generations and the albums that that have come out that you wouldn't have had with certain drug use and stuff like that. So, and if you're a good writer, you can you you know you. I mean, the, obviously, there's there's humour, there's intri- there's there's a romantic appeal with the with the you know with 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 it as well. But it 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 it's you know it's how you do it. So, Kill City, then obviously you brought out an album. How did that get down? <laughs> that's another good question i actually i don't remember um i didn't play on it 
and I but I do remember being at the album launch <laughs> for my band. I I think they, they the recording might have been done before before the tour was booked, before I started playing live. I was a live guitarist. Sometimes the roles are, are, are defined differently. Um <laughs> I, I certainly don't remember. Oh, no, I do remember we got press, um, but it, because I'm not on it, I, I probably didn't really care what anybody thought of the record. Um, I, I suppose I, I, you know, I, I assumed the band, I would stay in the band and that, that there would be more recording sessions, but I, I don't remember, honestly. Yeah. You weren't around very long, really. Oh. Um, it, it's quite a whirlwind kind of... Yeah, the, uh, I so I was, I ca- I carried on. I think me and Pete had a falling out, and I left. God knows what about it. It, it was probably at two o'clock in the morning. Yeah, um, and then I came back to play, um, purely because they they were going back out with the lips again. Um, I don't know whether the band split up or not, or they didn't replace me, or they did. I, I honestly can't remember. Um, but it was, I think they, I think, I, yeah, I don't know who played guitar whilst I was gone. Um, I know Stewie Bevan came in um, because I came back purely to play at Brixton with them. So, uh-huh. so I think that was the beginning of. 2004 I think because I went I I went and played with some other people for 2003 so yeah so it it was I was gone for a year and I came back um and we played a few club gigs I guess and then we had a night on the bill with at Brixton Academy with the Libertines which was brilliant you know I I, and I fully fully admit that that's what tempted me back (laughs) To, was to know how it felt to you know was to play a gig on a big stage in a big venue right i got a frog in my throat this morning <clears throat> um, but um they yeah they i mean it was great to be back with my mates i remember <laughs> i remember a rehearsal on magic mushrooms that was interesting yeah. um just lots of giggling it, it, it didn't for some reason it didn't hamper our playing but um yeah it was just good to be you know Bridges got mended and and we played. I think we played the Notting Hill Arts Club um, because yeah, I remember that because Lisa brought Kate Moss down to watch us. I think she was doing a a Vogue shoot, so that she was you know so she she appeared at that point. It was quite hard to concentrate playing a gig with her. Who, who for though for 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 you or for for Kate? Because I, I mean it's two models in the same room. <laughs> Yeah, well, there's no professional jealousy. <laughs> I, um, I, 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 I worked with her in the, as a kid, um, and we sat and chatted. But you know, I, I, she acted like she remembered me, but I'm sure she was just being nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. They, I mean, they, they, that that was fun. It was. I think we played. I think Vaz had gone by that point. I mean, it's like looking at a Wikipedia from Motorhead and, and Hawkwind or something. There's just, just cast of thousands with this band. Yeah. Lots of people came and went. Because um, I remember playing, we used the DAT 
yeah, that that date says makes uh, makes me sell it old. We're using DAT technology, and we had a DAT machine because our drummer left, and <laughs> and it kept breaking. So you know, we were all drinking and using, and how how we managed to keep it going, I don't know. But um, yeah, so so we came back, did the club gig, and then Brixton Academy, which was which was great. When you mentioned um, Stewie Bevan there, I, I was, I was yeah. racking my brain, I thought I know that name, and then so he was in the Paddingtons as well, wasn't he? Yes, yeah. So that's, that's, right. where I, that's where I knew the name for, was Paddington. Great guitar player and a lovely, lovely lad, yeah. Yeah, so after Kill City <laughs> finished, what sort of stuff were you doing then? I've, I've seen that you roaded for Slipknot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was actually before, that was... I mean, you know, you could you could call me you could say I've got um, varied taste in music, and I'm a, a versatile musician. Or you could say I was a you know I'm a musical whore. I don't know. Um, okay. it, yeah, that was that was just um, a wild goose chase that me and three three fifths or three sixths of menswear went out to um, Wichita, Kansas. On a, a we were conned into going to Kansas to go and play music. Um, somebody had told us that that he knew somebody who'd been in the birds, in the you know from in the band in the sixties, and it was I think it was just a complete lie. And he was actually he he he, he was an English guy. He was living in Kansas, and in Wichita, Kansas, and he conned us into going out there to go and record with his girlfriend. And he was really just an estate agent, and he <laughs> and he promoted back. He promoted a few gigs, and he. He put, whilst we were there, we got roped into lugging equipment in and out of this venue for Slipknot and Motorhead. Um, and I actually drank Lemmy's cider while Motorhead were on stage, which is possibly the most dangerous thing I've ever done in my life. <laughs> you know, sorry, and, Lemmy. And, and that's that. So after touring with the Libertines, and yeah. a lot of people would think that was one of the most dangerous things to do. <laughs> and then... You're, you're not back Lemmy's drink. That's mental. But afterwards, I, I just played with other people, um, and playing all sorts of different styles. Um, remember, I did a session with Adam, who who was Baby Shambles drummer. Is Baby Shambles drummer? I guess. Um, and that was me and and and. Um, some other friends, it was, it was Daniel Orsessi, who um, was was around on the scene and knew everybody that, 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 we, that we're talking about, um, who's who's releasing music at the moment as Moon Dusty. Um, but he he and I and another guy called Greg Folk, who's a jazz pianist, uh -huh. and Adam all went to South End and made a prog rock record that weekend. Um, I mean, I, I don't know how to play progressive rock. I just pretended I was in Cream when I was playing. <laughs> um, tried to play that Clapton in Cream. Then I went and played in a country rock band for four years. It, it, it was, and you know, I mean, the, the, like we said earlier, the record industry at the time and music journalists, they, they'd write about whatever they thought they could sell. Mm -hmm. So, it, you know, whether it was punk rock with the Libertines or Ryan Adams or whoever, you know, at the time you didn't. You, so you, you I, I was just joining bands and leaving bands as I fancied them, really. 
and kicked out of them as well. <laughs> so, obviously, moving on to the music, you battled with alcohol. Yeah. When yeah. when did you when did you first realise that it was a problem? Well, I, I mean, I, I I I I was a fan of the combo platter. It was everything, really. I wasn't just drinking, um, but that was the most difficult one to to stop um using was alcohol but when did i know i was i mean i i i think in a way uh, i i probably knew um that i was an alcoholic when i was about 18 mm-hmm. uh, but only in my kind of 18 year old you know what what do you know at all when you're 18 you don't know anything um uh, i didn't but i i i definitely knew that i liked it um so you know the combo platter in Cardiff in the early '90s involved LSD, it involved magic mushrooms, it involved amphetamines, um, ecstasy, anything you know, we, anything we could get hold of, and we we all were getting stuck into everything. But I remember getting a flagon of beer and drinking it in the park and just feeling com- like completely, uh, completely well, like everything was completely as it should be and um to paraphrase a a, a great hero of mine um chris from the dopey podcast it 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 felt like the solution to a problem i didn't know i had Mm. Um, and so you know that that was a red light that was a warning because it it felt too nice too comfortable but um yeah i mean so fast forward in, into the kind of post kill city days um you just can't keep keep living like that and and expect there to be no consequences really um so i i suppose when did i know was when things when trying to lead a normal life became difficult um so being, I, I got married i had a variety of um straight jobs you know real world jobs proper jobs as 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 people might say about music um and it yeah you know just trying to lead a normal life became unmanageable whose recovery speak um and it yeah it just got harder and harder so the marriage turned into a divorce i moved around a lot um and i actually stopped taking all the other drugs kind of one by one i i found everything easy to quit um, until i got it down to the two socially acceptable taxable ones that are really really bad for you yeah Um, this is a thing where they they are definitely the biggest drugs that there is the biggest killers yeah they are but the biggest money makers for the, the people at the top exactly yeah it's an interesting paradox isn't it that but um yeah it, 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 i mean the two that can kill you are benzodiazepines and alcohol if if you if you withdraw without um medical supervision once when you're physically hooked and I, i've had addictions to both of those um i don't know what made me um begin to recover to make that decision i, I I'm still kind of working on that one. There are various schools of thought. Um, if you want to adopt the 12 steps recovery 
um, process, you need to, to accept the, the presence of a higher power. Mm-hmm. Jury's still out on that one <clears throat> for me, pardon me. But um, it, it, yeah, for whatever reason, I was able to to have that moment of clarity and just make my decision. But I was physically addicted, so I had to I had to plan it. And I was looking after my mum at the time. I was a carer uh-huh. as well as a car teacher. And um, I didn't actually stop work in the sense I was I was still managing her life um, when I went to a detox hospital. But yeah, it's it, it it's it's a, 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 a fork in the road that we all come to, and and not everybody can make it's, that decision. Yeah, to, well, I mean, it's it's a it's a massive step, isn't it? My my mum mm-hmm. quit drinking what, ten years ago at the age. Uh-huh. Of, I don't know what mid sixties. Right. My mum stopped drinking, and within six months, my mum and dad were split up. But you know, she'd probably been an alcoholic the majority of life, but like a socially acceptable alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And it just maybe the last five or six years, it became more and more dependent on it to the yeah. point where when I stayed there, me and my wife stayed there for six months while we were waiting in a house and. Mm. used to get into the living room and she was drinking a, what she said was black coffee. And I thought, like, it's funny, Mum, that smells like Bacardi and Coke. I would, I'd be like, oh, your coffee's cold. I'd chuck it in the sink. I knew what it was, but she was, that's how she was living her life until she, she made we the all do. We all do. I mean, that's, I, 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 I did that. I did that with um, my codeine addiction where, when I was, um, I mean, you can go to, Go to a chemist in any high street and buy codeine. You know, it's it, it's an opioid. It's synthetic heroin, is what it is. Um, and I I hid my 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 tablets from my ex wife. You know, in 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 the home we shared, in the house we shared. Um, it's stigma that makes addicts yeah hide their their addiction because of the judgment that that they they're frightened of. That you know you, you it causes you to feel shame. Because you, because you're taught, we're taught to think that it's a weakness, which I think is, I, I it, 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 it's part of my reason for being candid about my my life, my past, and my and my present, and hopefully my future. In in that it's, it, it, I think that the, the stigma is is just as harmful as the substance. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I've not more harmful. Mm. But yeah. But this is the thing, when, when, if you think of that as a weakness and then you think, when you're speaking out, highlighting the issue, think how strong that makes you. So that, that okay. overcomes any weakness. You, you're, you. you're doing guitar lessons now, you're a guitar coach. Yeah, so when you asked me about what happened next and I mentioned some of the, the prog rock album in a weekend yeah. and that kind of thing, I, I was able to... Um, I mean, I... I you know, thing, things happen in in life, don't they? And you 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 kind of when your back's against the wall, you 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 start you you know you either sink or swim. And and um, I was between bands and between record deals, and I had two different jobs in two different clothes shops and two different bar uh-huh. almond jobs. Um, and I just sussed out how to teach, basically. Um, and that was when I was that was a good sort of seventeen. 16, 17 years ago, I think. 
um, the the recovery was the same. You 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 know, fear is a great motivator. Um, people have been very kind to me about about my getting sober, but my my GP gave me a year to live. You know, um, right. I listened, <laughs> and and similarly, I you know, I needed money in London in the, in in two thousand and five or whatever it was, and so. I was I was behind a bar and I was pulling a pipe and the bar was sort of four deep. Um, and one of my regular punters had seen me playing a gig. He'd seen me playing lap steel guitar, which is a bit unusual for the listeners. It, it's it, it, you play it on your knees um, with a slide and and so that's that that thing behind you. I think yeah, it's not it wasn't it wasn't del- <laughs> deliberately placed there. <laughs> it's getting sold. Um, so that's why it's out but um it's a bit well they're a bit more a bit more common now but in, in those days it was a bit unusual and so my my punter had seen me playing it at a gig um in a, a sister venue to this pub i was working in and asked for a lesson um and i just sort of dismissed him because it was five deep at the bar or whatever and i i just no 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 i can't teach and then he came back when it was a bit quieter and got his got his next pint and asked me again and asked how did 20 quid sound you know and this was as i say this was in 2005 and i was probably getting paid a fiver for that hour that i was serving him so it sounded pretty good um, and it just went from there you know um i would just go to people's houses and they'd ask for a, 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 at the time i remember my, my first learner she asked for a franz ferdinand song so i just learned it brought it to her um but I went back with with Clash and Jam records for her to listen to, <laughs> um, because I didn't want to play Franz Ferdinand myself. But that's not what I do. I teach people what they want to play. You know, I'll suggest things. But yeah, it it, it was just something I was I was able to do. Um, it's nice to get paid. Yeah, I went to guitar lessons about ten ten years ago. I went to guitar yeah. lessons. Bear in mind, I'm 42, so at 30 odd year old, I decided I was going to learn guitar. Yeah. And I went to this guy, and I think I went to like four lessons. So he was teaching me the Libertines, the man who yeah. was the king, right? So four lessons in, and I'm I'm learning like the first 30 seconds to this song. Every every time when I was going to the lessons, there was a wee boy in before me, and he uh-huh. was half my age. Yeah. And that began and listen to like the last five minutes of him, and he was doing Jimmy Page solos. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I, I, I've learnt 30 seconds of a Libertine song, and that's we boys doing like Led Zeppelin, and I was like, no, I can't do it. I just, I didn't have the, the capacity well, or the patience to learn. I, I, would, I, would, I would reassure you with... Um... Perhaps that um, I, I, I far be it for me to say, but I, I I'm not sure whether either Carl or Pete can play any Jimmy Page guitar. So I bet John probably can. <laughs> it's you know it's all music, isn't it? And it's not it's not a race. It's not a competition. I I can't. I mean I can play bits of Jimmy Page, but right. I certainly can't play. I'm not ready to put the ja- the dragon suit on and, and go and play in a Zeppelin tribute band. You know, I'd, I'd probably have to practice for about a year to do it, to even think about doing that. But uh, And you're never too old to start either. I was um, I was talking about this the other day. There's um, 
after London, I, I moved south and lived in Hastings um, for a few years. And I taught a guy who I, I couldn't tell you exactly how old he was at the time, but this is 10 years ago. So I had 10 years to what, what we might think he, his age was. Um, he was a book dealer and his he was poorly his um his central nervous system was attacking his immune system or vice versa i can't remember which but he he wanted guitar lessons because he needed some kind of physical th physiotherapy um but he so i started teaching him and he, he wanted to learn some tom petty so we started with that and as it went on and this is what usually happens is because it's such a personal job that i do it's it, it, it's um you become friends with with the people that stick at it you know because you have to be really um and he would he start he, you know we were talking about drugs and talking about life and, and and funny stories and um he told me that when he was a younger man he used to go to switzerland to buy his lsd and he used to go with his friends from cambridge and their names were roger roger david and richard um and they formed a little band around about that time called the pink floyd and that's what they were doing it so they i mean that's the only place you could get lsd was from the the, the laboratories in Switzerland. They... um but yeah he was so you know he was an older guy um and i remember living in that town and i put a, a a leaflet a flyer through somebody's letterbox and she, she just wanted to learn to play green sleeves on the guitar you know and she was in her 70s so it's never you're never too old you know if your hands work and your eyes work and your ears work you can learn learn to play guitar yeah i think i might get back to it in a few years once my my, my kids are a bit older and out the way and i've got a bit more time yeah you should you should yeah. so before we go into your heroes just touching on like everything that's went on with you, like the Labertines and all that. What's what's your relationship like with all these guys now? Do you still have contact with them? Do you still speak to people? The actual Libertines, the last time I no, saw yeah, not so much just the Libertines, just everybody from that scene. Yeah, I mean it's social media, and and we're all we're all old now, um, and so most of us have got you know busy lives. Um, I'm I'm very much in touch with with Pete Jones, Welsh Pete, Pete Welsh, Jack Jones, whatever whatever he's called today. Um, yeah, we we have go and see him in in Wales occasionally. Um, Got back in touch with Mick Whitnell recently, just chatting on on Messenger. Um, we, he, he and I used to spend hours and days just nerding out about guitars and, you know, all the differences between all the guitars. And um, this was, yeah, like I say, late nineties, um, and and we've been doing that again, talking about guitars we've got it's it's, it's quite boring <laughs> but we don't think so you know so um and yeah the last time i, I saw the libertines playing cardiff about six years ago i think mm -hmm. and and went and said hi afterwards and, and they had a pool table on tour with them that's impressive <laughs> who's, who's the best at pool at the libertines i have no idea 
Probably <laughs> John. My guess would be John. Right. I, I went know. to see the Libertines. I went to see them last year, the tail end of last year. Mm. And it was it, it's really funny to go and see them after all these years. And yeah. it's all it's all young kids. Right. Yeah. But they don't like they don't know like the first album. They're, they're singing mm-hmm. all the new stuff, but they don't know all the all the, the classics. I'm the other way around. I've never even heard the new stuff. No, well, that's that. I, I can take it or leave it. Right. Um, but it's the same. I went to see Liam Gallagher a few years back, and like, there's all these young lasses going mental for his, like, his uh, solo stuff. But all, all these oh, yeah. old guys just there waiting for the racist stuff. I, I then, lost interest at BDI. I don't know how long ago that was. Yeah. But, well, I, I mean, I, pref- I, I like the BDI stuff better than these. I, I go and see him now purely because our friend Little Barry's playing with him at the moment, who's pro- possibly one of the greatest guitar players I've ever heard. Right. Whether whether he's playing, I don't know how he how he plays up that music, but I don't know how that music's supposed to be heard anyway. So, obviously, Drew McConnell plays with him as well. Uh, I don't know Drew. I don't. I don't even know if we've ever met. It's quite possible that we <laughs> have. But, um, yeah, I don't know him. That's mental. By all accounts, a nice chap, but I, I don't know him. Yeah. Right. So we'll do this hero's bat. Obviously, I'm going to think. I'm going to have to have a think because I might actually change my mind. I was going to just do the obvious and 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 pick the Libertines. Well, obviously, you, you can pick whoever you like, dead or alive. You don't need to be musicians. They can be for any walk of life you want. So just fire away. And obviously, you need to let me know what you're cooking them. That tells me whether you're a good cooker, no? Right. You can have as many people as you want. When I had um, Gemma Clark for Baby Shambles, I had her on, and she picked about 15 different folk. I was there for <laughs> hours with her. So, so I say four, but you can have as many as you like. You can have one of the mentions or whatever you want. Well, I have got to do a couple of other things today, so... Um... No, let's. I, I, I'll pick Pete Doherty, Carborough, John Arsell, and Gary. What's Gary's name? Gary Powell. Oh, <laughs> yeah, go on. Because yeah. it, it, it's been lovely having this trip down memory lane, and, I, and and they were all lovely guys. And, and what would I cook? I don't know. I'd probably just serve up some humble pie for. Um, <laughs> Because every musician needs to have a bit of humble pie to eat every now and again. It's um, we're all just complete egomaniacs usually. <laughs> um, now we all need to be reminded of, of you know we're we're all just musicians and it's it's an honour to be a musician you know, um, and they but they were they were all. You know, nobody was full of themselves. We don't have a We're self-obsessed and we're often addicts, and that, those two things go hand in hand. But but those four lads, certainly twenty years ago, were you know they were great. Brilliant. I think, um, my 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 um, that was probably what motivated the the my first um, um, blog post. It's just that. The, you know, there's, he, he was demonised. Pete was demonised, and and it pissed me off. You know. Yeah, and but that's is the thing. As as we said at the start, kind of the real fans, the proper fans, know. Yeah. And yeah. 
anybody that's fucking reading gossip columns in the sun needs a fucking head check, didn't they? Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, you, you can't even say the name of that that rag where I live now, but um, yeah. but it, yeah, yeah, the fans always know they the, because that's what they're there for. They're there for the music, and and they don't care about and you know, and obviously if you're young and and somebody's public enemy number one, it's appealing because because he he was a rebel, you know, he was. He, it, it, I'm sure it sold a lot of records, you know. The, the the so it, it, and it's how you play it. Um, I gather Adrian Hunter's got is is writing. I don't know if that's if that's um. He's, yeah, he's talking about it. I seen his post just a just a couple of weeks ago, saying that he's he's finally writing a book, which should be amazing. That would be, be a great read. Yeah, I've had him on the podcast as well. He's a brilliant. Have you? Yeah. Yeah. Adrian, um, I knew uh, years before Adrian. I I knew. I met him about the same time as I met Pete Jones. They're all friends, yeah. 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 I I look forward to reading that. It'll be very funny, I would have thought. Yeah, I mean he's a brilliant guy, Adrian. And he's got he's done so much for Pete as well. He's right. and and people don't realise, you know what I mean? People, like these people oh, yeah. these people in the background, they they kinda go off the radar. Nobody nobody realises about Definitely, and unsung heroes. It, there's a lot of moving parts that people don't see. It's like the Wizard of Oz, you know, the guy behind the curtain. And it, it the yeah, they they don't get enough credit. I mean, Adrian had um, Adrian always used to get me onto a guest list for the Reading Festival every summer. So eternally grateful. Andy Andy lent me his big red Gibson. I forget which model it was. He for the Samaritans. He lent me his guitar. Um, he was our manager briefly, but I don't think there's anything for him to do. <laughs> but um, he, yeah, he's, he's a good old friend. And and he had, I, I was impressed anyway, but I was impressed with, because he worked with a band I was a big fan of, still am, called Whiteout. Uh-huh. Huge Whiteout fan. Um, but yeah, they, they don't get enough you know, enough praise for what they do, enough recognition. And I'd imagine it was quite a challenging job to to look after Pete. Because we are, you know, we are difficult human beings, musicians. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we're not very good at at adulting. We're not very good at real life. Well, what I'll do, obviously, I'll post links to your blog and your guitar lessons and whatever else so that people can get in touch with you. Thanks, man. Other than that, um, it's been a pleasure having you on. You've been a brilliant guest. Thanks (laughs) Thanks for having me. Thoroughly enjoyed meeting you and talking about the old days. You know, it's, um, it's, it's nice. It's nice to have a trip down memory lane. I hope you all enjoyed this episode of Time for Heroes podcast. If you would like to get in touch, the best way is on the Facebook page, Time for Heroes Podcast, or on Instagram at Time for Heroes Podcast, or Twitter at Time for Heroes P1, or drop me an email at Time for Heroes Pod at gmail.com. You'll find Time for Heroes on all podcast platforms, including Spotify, Apple, Google and Amazon. Please leave a review where you can, share with others and more importantly, enjoy.